Let me tell you a story. <laughs> Once upon a time, do I have your attention? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That little phrase is where all wonder begins. I titled this little exercise, Imagine If, a Theology of Wonder. And before I actually launch into it, I do want to give a little prayer of blessing for us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So a story, a story is a delight of anticipation to be taken to a new place full of adventure, longing, hope, and maybe redemption. Embedded in a story is an exquisite promise of something more. Storytelling is an art, an art with a capital A. Makoto Fujimura put it this way, art is not a luxury. It's a necessity, an essential part of our lives. Art is what makes us human. It's what makes us whole. However, to tell a story, you have to start with the imagination. And before I get into that, we need to define some terms. Because the problem is imagination and creativity are often used as synonyms. Even the word wonder is tossed into that, and it gets a little jumbled up. But let's think of it this way. Um, going to our lovely friend, Mr. Webster. Imagination is the formation of an idea, of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Creativity, on the other hand, is the work of giving the imagination substance or expression. And the production of an idea is an artist's work. But lastly, wonder is our reaction to the creative imagination. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's look at imagination. Imagination <clears throat> has a root word in it. Think of the word for a second, put it in your mind. So what's the root word? Image. But what is an image? It's a reflection, or is it? And if it's a reflection, a reflection of what? Dorothy Sayers put it this way. I suppose, having rejected the words copy, imitation, and representation as inadequate, we substitute the word image and say that what the artist is doing is to image forth something or other. Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch theologian and politician, yes, he was both. He wrote, by employing imagination, we soar beyond the constraints of the physical and the temporal and glimpse divine beauty and eternal wisdom. 
But unfortunately, imagination, especially in storytelling, and many of you have experienced this, it's been equated to something made up, as in not true, as in false. But we need imagination to live in God's world. N.T. Wright put it this way, Christian leaders have been worried about letting people imagine things in case their imagination runs riot and they start imagining the wrong things. And so we squelch it, we squash it, and we've ended up building buildings that are inherently ugly, lest anyone think that the buildings are somehow divine. And we've done all sorts of things, even in our worship, to prevent the glory to get out. But imagination, never think, forget how that's pronounced, imagination. Imagination finds its actual source in a holy God. For all truth is God's truth. And therefore, any human attempt at imagination is an expression of the eternal image. It's not our work, it's not our creation, but it's God's. Therefore, it can be described as being sanctified, a sanctified imagination. This sanctified imagination, our capacity to create beauty, is what places us squarely as a being created in the image of God. Now that's not to say that all imagination is sanctified. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to desacramentalize the imagination as a way to counter what they see as divine. Creativity, on the other hand, is the work of the imagination, and that's what we do at the Writers' Conference. We're talking about how do we express our creativity and express that imagination. I've had people actually say to me, but I'm not creative. Really? Every one of us has the image of God in us and therefore are creative. They just haven't found it yet or they haven't figured out how to define it. They are denying a gift that they have been given and have left it unopened. And it may not mean that they're a great painter or that they can sew a beautiful uh, dress or that they can build a wonderful building, but they can find within them somewhere a treasure. Leland Riken put it this way, the Bible is a work of artistic and imaginative expression. It's a imaginative expression that reveals a God who is infinitely creative and has given his image bearers the ability to reflect that creativity. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. 
When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what are mortals that you are mindful of them or the children of mortals that you care for them? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about it. The first time we encounter God in the scriptures, he's not a thundering judge. He's not a rigid lawmaker. He's a creator. So when the psalmist describes the work of your fingers, we can see him tracing on a canvas that we call the universe. And when he was done, he stepped back and called it good. When you approach the task of creativity, pause at least once a day, and I hope you have paused once already, and thank God for the gift that you have been given. Neil Gaiman put it this way, imagination is a muscle, and if it's not exercised, it atrophies. The world becomes smaller and poorer, and we become less conscious of the mysteries that surround us. Or think of it another way. The word fantasy comes from the Greek word phantasine, which means to make visible. Thus, the imagination through creativity reveals something heretofore hidden. And guess what you guys get to do? You are making visible the invisible through the gift that you have been given as creators set here in the image of God. For the next few moments, I want to take us on a fun little journey, a journey of word pictures. These are done to help stretch your imagination a little bit today, and we'll call it the Imagine If Game. Just think with me for a minute. Imagine if words had a flavor. You could taste them. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So what do your words taste like? What flavor are they? Now you know there are multiple flavors, but the main ones are sweet, sour, spicy, and salty. Or bitter, true. I'm not bitter that someone said that. <laughs> but what do your words taste like? Now a good chef can take multiple flavors, right? and put them together and creates what? Is it a new flavor 
or is it enhanced flavor? Is it one that makes one pop out even greater or the other or both at the same time? I mean, we have 10,000 taste buds on our tongue and we have 171,000 words to choose from according to the Oxford English Dictionary. So the next time you have a brain cramp, there's another word out there for you. <laughs> there's plenty of them. Now granted, we only use around 25,000, <clears> unless you're Scott Minor. <laughs> uh, sorry, Scott, you're an easy mark. <laughs> so when I was playing around with this, I thought, oh, we could take two different words and Imagine that they're a flavor and tantalize our palate. But what are the two words that I'm thinking of? And I thought, tangerine and avocado. I went, ew. <laughs> oh. I wonder. I will not try it. You can go right ahead. But imagine if your words had a flavor. How about this? Imagine that words have a fragrance. What do your words smell like? No jokes. What do your words smell like? Now remember, smells can create memory. I mean, there are certain fragrances, when I smell them, I am immediately taken to the kitchen as a kid and my mom is making dinner. That smell doesn't take me anywhere else. It takes me there. And it's a wonderful memory. I will never forget it. Can I describe the smell? No, I have no idea what it is. I just know that when I smell it, it's what she was making at that moment. Smells can also be a warning. If we start smelling smoke, we'd start wondering, do we need to leave? Is there danger afoot? Words are like that. Or let's take the scriptures again. 2 Corinthians 2.15. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Your words are that fragrance to those who are being saved and to those who are, being, who are perishing. So, do your words smell like a pile of weak old gym socks? Or do they smell like the spring rain? Imagine if, imagine if words had a texture and were tangible. Is it sandpaper or silk? And if it's sandpaper, what kind of sandpaper? Is it that first kind that you get that's super rough, that literally chews the top edge off of that wood you're working on? Or is the last level of sandpaper that's so fine it barely makes a dent, but it makes things perfectly smooth? Or are your words a razor edge? that slices and cuts? Or are your words a bludgeon like a baseball bat? And I, playing around, I even thought of a, a little sketch that our youngest daughter and I 
would repeat to each other, but words like spatula or macadamia or gazebo. <laughs> These words have texture. They have substance in them. Imagine if words were light. Right now I have a hard time seeing most of you because I have a certain floodlight in my eyes that <laughs> makes it a little difficult to see faces, but I know you're out there. I can hear you murmuring. <coughs> <laughs> but in the electromagnetic spectrum of light, the visible light that we can see has color in it. So what color are your words? Are they a soothing light blue, a forest green? Or is it a bright yellow or a dark burgundy or a harsh red? What are they? Imagine if. And to think about light, if you ever have studied light in the electromagnetic spectrum, it's very vast, and we see only this tiny sliver. If you go one direction, light becomes ultraviolet, then X-ray, then gamma ray, each level increasingly dangerous and destructive. And the other direction, it goes to infrared, then microwave, then radio wave. Do your words fantasize, make visible the invisible on the spectrum? Some of you have um, in your hands, and if you don't, take out a writing instrument. I know those of you who haven't been taking notes should be thoroughly scourged later. I think there's a poll out there that's just for that purpose. <laughs> but this little guy, this is your writing instrument. And if you're right hand or left hand, it doesn't matter, grab it in your normal hand. But use your opposite hand and grab the barrel and turn your writing instrument into a chisel. Now imagine if you have been assigned to write something in granite. There's no backspace key. <laughs> There's no whiteout. You have one chance to get it right. And those words will be established for thousands of years. And people as long as the Lord tarries, will walk by that display and read those words and wonder who wrote them. When you choose a word, think of it as a word chiseled in granite because your words will outlast you. And in our digital age, Nothing goes out of print. You think you erased your Facebook profile. Ha ha ha. It's somewhere in the universe. 
and could come back to haunt you. Words have that longevity. Another imagine if. I was reading the G.K. Chesterton biography of Francis of Assisi. And Francis of Assisi had a dream or a viewing, and I'm just gonna quote it, of the world with all the trees and towers hanging head downward as in a pool. For some reason, that stuck with me. And I have let that just simmer in my imagination. And I try to imagine a world in which we are walking on the sky and the trees are above us, hanging down. And when that happens, where are the tree's roots? They're going up. And right now, when we think of up, we think of heaven. We think that's where God is. The trees know that their sustenance is in God. And their roots are stretching as far as it can be. And yet we, walking on the sky, have our heads down, looking at blue and white, and the nice doomy hullabaloo of our screens. And we don't see the trees no better than we do. This brings me to wonder, the beauty of wonder. When the imagination is fired and the creativity flows, our response to it must be wonder. But I fear that in our rationalistic and pragmatic existence, we have lost that ability. Wonder is the amazement and the admiration we experience when we come across something inspiring. The feeling that arises when captured by something beautiful, hearing a glorious song or having our senses overwhelmed by something extraordinary. Our attention is arrested, our focus is, is sharpened, and our joy is heightened. Author Gordon, in his book, A Touch of Wonder, wrote, to keep our bodies comfortable and well-fed and entertained seems to be all that matters. Truer words have never been written. But the more successful we are at this, the more extend, more entombed the soul becomes in solid, immovable flesh. We no longer hear the distant trumpet and go toward it. We listen to the pipes of Pan and fall asleep. How can I rouse my people and make them want to thrust forward into the unknown, into the world of testing and trusting? So as part of our time together, let's contemplate wonder for a moment. For the better part of recorded history, we thought Earth was the center of the universe and that there were only 5,119 stars. The constellations were then named and legends were formed. And then we invented the telescope. <laughs> and we discovered that some of those stars were actually galaxies and that our galaxy was just one of many. Our galaxy 
is 100,000 light years across. So if you start on one end, travel the speed of light, it'll take you 100,000 years to get the end of the end of your journey. Last year, a new galaxy was discovered. These new telescopes that they have. It's called the Alcyonus, A-L-C-Y-O-N-E-U-S galaxy. It is 16.3 million light years across. Ours is 100,000. In our galaxy is 100 billion stars. In that galaxy are one trillion stars. <laughs> and Lamotte put it this way, what can we say beyond, wow? <laughs> Wonder takes our breath away and makes room for new breath. That's why it's called breathtaking. We are individuals in time and space who are often gravely lost. And then miraculously, in art, we are found. Or consider this. It's estimated that there are around 50 billion birds on Earth. And there are 8 billion people. So the ratio is 6 birds for every person. So which means if we brought them all into this room, we could recreate an Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> and yet, not a single bird on record has ever sown a seed, reaped a harvest, or stored crops in a barn. And yet God feeds each one of them. It hurts the brain to even imagine it. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that if he can feed the birds, surely he can take care of your needs. Many of you came to this conference leaving behind difficult circumstances. You thought you left them behind, but they're still with you. We know that. If we were to each stop and share with each other, there would be a lot of tears and a lot of challenges and a lot of difficult life situations. But never forget, there are 50 billion birds. And if God can take care of them, he will take care of you. Eugene Peterson put it this way, the assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something that I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is already doing so I can respond to it and participate in it and delight in it. Unfortunately, the principalities and powers of anti-God take great pains to shut down anything that suggests that there is a divine creator. They devalue life at its inception. 
They confuse the divine order of creation in the Garden of Eden, and they call it intersectional personal identities. They enshrine money, sex, and power, and kick God out of their throne rooms. They desecrate the creator who painted the cosmos with light and who called it good. They take the excrement of their debauchery and shove it in God's face, declaring their creation better. But their victory is premature. The God of wonders in whom we delight has shown us a way forward. The almighty, the invisible, the omnipotent, magnificent God is beyond our comprehension. The vastness of our universe is but a speck in the palm of his hand. A few years ago, I was with our grandson, Caleb, when he was around five, and I was describing this to him about the vastness of the universe and all oh, the stars and the distances. And he, I said, and, and on top of that, God holds the entire universe, everything we know, in the palm of his hand. And he looked at me in awe. He said, Grandpa, what does he have in his other hand? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> this God, everything we know, we think we know everything. And we have no idea. This God is too much for us to understand. Study theology as we will. God is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is holy other inaccessible, unreachable, unfathomable. And yet, in Jesus Christ, we can reach the unreachable. We can speak the unspeakable. We can commune with the omniscient. Max Lucado put it this way, the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been, been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. Holiness sleeping in a womb the creator of life, begotten, not made. God came near. And therefore, we have hope. As you explore your imagination, as you practice your creativity, I hope that you renew your sense of wonder. And my challenge to you 
is from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8, where it reads, Now, go, write it before them on a tablet, and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. Remember that the world will be different tomorrow because of the words you write today. Thank you very much. And so this is Realm Makers. I'm so thankful. Thank you so much. I'm sitting here thinking, not only um, are we being encouraged, but we are celebrating and honoring our Lord at the same time. So thank you so very much. Yes. <laughs> that was amazing. My brain was also going hashtag Realm Makers 2023, hashtag Dream Agent, hashtag Steve Lobby. So yes. For those of you pitching, no stress, no stress. <laughs> yes. All right, a few um, last announcements. A reminder that if you're having dinner tonight in the Matterhorn, um, that is going to be as soon as we're done. So we're going to go head up that way. Um, and that is for those of you that signed up to do the faculty dinners. Also, if you are going out to dinner, don't forget you can take the portal. And um, we have the newbie orientation at 615 in this room. Again, if you have questions, anything you'd like to ask about, you know, protocol for pitches or just general questions about being in sessions, I'm happy to answer everything that I can. I'll be here again with a couple of tips and tricks and all kinds of fun things to make you feel more comfortable in your first year at Realmakers. Also, oh, yeah, don't forget to silence your phones during sessions. I heard a little thing going off. Yes, I know. For those of you that have been around for a while, there was a little faux pas on my part with the cell phone going off in the middle of the award ceremony. <laughs> I've never forgotten it, and I have told every one of my students about that story. So it happens. All righty. In the morning, again, don't forget those of you that are um, award nominees that are going to be here for the awards banquet, we need you to be here tomorrow in the morning at 8.15. We will be going over uh, sort of the different, um, what we're going to be doing, how the ceremonial work, and your part in that. So make sure you are here for that. Also, from 7 to 9, Continental Breakfast in the exhibit hall in the morning, and announcements will begin at 9 o'clock. We'll play a little fun some fun games, talk about what was overheard at Railmakers, and just give you all the announcements and updates for the day. All right. With that being said, have a lovely dinner, and I will see you for the agent and editor Q&A at 7 o'clock. Bring your questions, but questions in general, not about your story. <laughs>